0: it's tech biter worldwide i'm bill blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes that's because we leave out the sports most of the jingles the weather and the commercials podcast number 278 for the 5th of february 2012 this week you're here your file is there now what And just what we need, another media player. In short circuits, Twitter hides tweets, Google defends its new privacy policy, and Hitachi has a new big, fast hard drive. Many people who use computers have more than one computer. Maybe a desktop or two sitting around the house. Maybe a notebook or two, an office computer, possibly a netbook, and with increasing frequency, a tablet. How many times do you discover that the file you need is on another computer? Possibly a computer that's miles away from where you are. Eliminating this inconvenience turns out to be Easy. There are several methods. If the other computer is turned on and has an application such as Log Me In or Go to My PC installed, then you can just log on to the other computer and either work on the file there or email it to yourself or put it on an FTP server. If you use an application like Google Docs or Microsoft Live and the file is from one of those applications, you can edit the file online. If you think far enough ahead, And have a large enough flash drive, the file could already be in your pocket. A warning though carrying important files around on a flash drive is not recommended unless you've encrypted the drive. Another possibility a service such as Dropbox or SugarSync. Any type of file from any application can be available online through one of those services. And there's another option that might not immediately come to mind. I'll get to that later. First, let's consider the usual suspects you can log on to a remote PC. If the computer that has the file you need is always turned on, for example, a computer that's at the office and has to be powered at all times to allow access by network administrators, then a remote access application is a good solution. It allows you to download the needed file to your computer or to edit the file on the remote computer. A fast connection is essential, of course, and the IT departments of some companies won't allow applications such as go to my PC or log me in. Instead, if they allow anything, they'll provide a more secure, multi key process such as an RSA secure ID system. This option is not usable if the remote system is turned off or if the connection is slow. Both free and paid options are available. What about Google Docs or Microsoft Live? Well, all documents are stored on Google's or Microsoft's servers, so they're always available from any location that has an internet connection. You are, of course, limited to the file types supported by the application, so that means word processor files, spreadsheets, presentation files, and database files. If you have a Photoshop file or an InDesign file or a CorelDRAW file that you need to work on, well, you're out of luck. And if you have a Word or Excel file that uses some of the advanced features not supported by the online services, you're also out of luck. Well, flash drives are getting larger and less expensive. At about a dollar a gigabyte, flash drives can be a good solution, but they do require sufficient forethought that you maintain the most Recent version of the files that you need on the flash drive. That can be a pain sometimes. Flash drives are also easy to lose. Believe me, I've lost some. And an unencrypted drive that's lost could expose your company's proprietary information. For this reason, some companies require that any portable memory devices be encrypted, or they simply prohibit the use of such devices. Generally speaking, I limit the use of flash drives to transporting files that I know I'll need at a remote location. To that remote location. And that brings us to file synchronization services. You've probably heard of Dropbox. You may have heard of SugarSync. Other file synchronization services exist, but these two are pretty representative of the breed, so we'll talk about those. Dropbox seems to be the better known service. It provides up to 2 gigabytes of storage without charge. SugarSync, on the other hand, offers 5 gigabytes for free. That may sound like a lot, and it is if you're storing Word or Excel documents, but if you need access to digital images or video files, you'll quickly exceed the limit. Dropbox provides 50 gigabytes of storage for $10 a month, 100 gigabytes of storage for $20 a month, or for about $800 a year, you get a terabyte that can be shared among five users. Dropbox promotes this for business usage. SugarSync's paid plans begin at 30 gigabytes for $5 a month, and other plans include 60 gigabytes for $10, dollars 100 for $15, and 250GB for $25. Annual plans give users two free months. So, let's take a look at SugarSync. The first thing you do when you set up a SugarSync computer is name it, and select an icon. You'll see an example of how I've done that on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The computer I set up first is a notebook system that I keep at the office. Dropbox stores your files encrypted on multiple services. It runs as a service on your Windows, Mac, Linux, iOS, Android, or BlackBerry computer or portable device, but if you need access to a file from a computer that doesn't have the application installed, you can also use a web-based service and a browser to retrieve it. SugarSync has applications for Windows, Mac, iOS, Android, BlackBerry, Windows Mobile, and Symbian operating systems. You may have noticed I omitted Linux. That will change as an application for Linux is now in beta. During the installation process, SugarSync will create a folder called Magic Briefcase in your Documents folder. You'll find a shortcut to that directory on the desktop. Any file placed in the Magic Briefcase will be synchronized, and so will files placed in several other folders. Instead of accepting the default folder, I created my own folder on the desktop called Sync Folder what a clever name, and I specified it as a folder to synchronize. By default, SugarSync will create links that you may or may not want. It's easy enough to remove the ones you don't want and to add ones you do want. You'll find a SugarSync icon in the tray, click it to open the control panel and set up the relationships between directories on the various computers where you've installed the service. To make changes, click the SugarSync File Manager. SugarSync also offers, on the menu, a Get Free Storage option. You'll earn extra space in various ways, 500 megabytes for every one you refer to the service, and a little additional free space for sharing files with a public link, adding a notebook computer, adding a handheld device, and things like that. Except for referrals, it's not a lot of space. But as somebody once said, it's better than a kick to the head by a kung fu master. Then I moved on to a netbook computer, and after installing SugarSync, I created a sync folder directory on the desktop, and associated it with that same directory on the SugarSync server. At home, I added a sync folder directory to a notebook computer and to a desktop computer. Now, whenever I add a file to the sync folder directory on any of those four computers, it almost immediately appears on the other three. And if the other three aren't on, those files appear almost immediately after I turn them on. But, and this is important, any file I delete... From any of those four computers, is also immediately deleted from the other three. This is not a backup service, it is a synchronization service. Both Dropbox and SugarSync use the concept of a magic folder so that any file you place in the folder will be synchronized on all the various computers. And as I was pointing out, you need to really take care to understand that synchronization is not backup. If you synchronize directories and then delete the local files, the deletions will also be synchronized, which is to say that the remote copies will be deleted. SugarSync also allows users to right-click any file or folder on the computer and make it a magic folder, too. SugarSync enables online editing. To use that, just connect to the website, log in, and choose Edit with WebSync. A Java applet will download, install, and launch. The Java applet then opens the file in the PC's default application, Excel for XLSX files, for example, and then saves the file back to SugarSync's server when you're finished editing so that it'll be synchronized with all your other computers. Both Dropbox and SugarSync can limit downloads and uploads to only those parts of the files that change during editing. This can be important if you download a graphics-laden Word file and change only a few paragraphs. Instead of having to upload the entire 200 megabyte file, uploading the changes could cut the upload to 50 kilobytes, and that could save a lot of time and a lot of bandwidth, which is important if you're on any kind of metered connection. Both services also make file sharing possible. Dropbox creates a public folder. Any files placed there can be selected and placed on the Dropbox server so that they're available to anybody. No password is needed to access the files. It is truly a public folder. Or you can provide password-protected access to any file that you synchronize with Dropbox. Anyone who needs access to the file will need a Dropbox account, which is free, and you'll need to add their username to a list of people who have access to the file. SugarSync's sharing option allows you to share files as read-only so that any other user can look at the file but not edit it. Any given folder can be open or password protected. But there's a small elephant in the room here. It's a small elephant over in the corner. Some people use offsite backup services, and the files you've backed up to a service such as Carbonite or Mosey might be available to you from a remote computer. Carbonite has been the service that I've recommended for years. It's an incredible bargain, just $50 for unlimited storage. And yes, that is really just about $5 a month per computer. Carbonite also has an option that makes any of my files available on a computer with internet access. All I need is my Carbonite username and password. With that, I can download any file that I've backed up and work on it. Mosey's pricing is a little more complicated. If you don't have a lot to back up, the price is about the same, $3.95 a month, but there is also a charge of 50 cents per gigabyte per month. I have a lot of stuff backed up on Carbonite. 416 gigabytes as of the 1st of February, well, that would cost me about $211.95 a month on Mosey. Now, I value the data on my computer, but it's already backed up locally, and I use an online service mainly for assurance and convenience. $2,500 a year? I don't think so. And keep in mind, these are backup services, not synchronization services. That means that changes made to the file on one computer will not be replicated in files on other computers. You need to obtain a copy of the file from the backup service, modify it on the remote computer, replace it on the backup site, and then remember to restore the changed file from backup to the computer where the primary copy lives. Wow, that's not as automatic as a synchronization process, but consider this. You could use the free version of Dropbox or SugarSync to retain copies of files that you routinely need to use from remote computers, and then use the retrieve from backup procedure to obtain files that are needed only on an ad hoc basis. So, there are two bottom lines this week. SugarSync. Five cats. Quick and easy way to synchronize files on multiple computers. Programs such as Microsoft OneNote and KeyPass make synchronizing files across computers important. SugarSync makes it easy. If you need to synchronize no more than five gigabytes of files, it's even free. For more information, you can visit the SugarSync website. You'll find a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. And also for Carbonite, five cats, the best way to create a safety net backup of files that you don't want to lose. Backup is important. I say that a lot. I have lots of backups. I have local backups. I have weekly offsite backups. Even so, I wouldn't want to be without Carbonite. Files are backed up as soon as they're created or changed, and the service is one of the best bargains you will ever find. For more information, visit the Carbonite website. Again, a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. a kind of strange name at least strange to speakers of english lurks the damn pot player what might you think this is damn pot player maybe a despised musician in a southern funk band well Dam pot player is a free video player from south korea and that's D A U M damn pot player In case you haven't been paying attention lately, South Korea manufactures some of the most reliable and popular electronic devices and automobiles, so why not media players? You already have lots of choices when it comes to playing videos and DVDs. There's the built-in and quite capable Windows Media Player. You may have downloaded DivX Player or Videoland's VLC Player. MediaMonkey can play videos, so can a variety of other applications. But even so, you might want to take a look at this dam pot player from a hitherto unknown company in South Korea. But why would you need a new video player? Well, it's free. But then so are most of the other players. Pot player comes with most of the codecs you'll ever need already built in. Now that's a plus, because many other players require you to download and install the various codecs, and sometimes you don't even find out you need one until you try to play something and it won't play. A codec, by the way, is an acronym for Coder Decoder. It's the translator that enables players to play the various formats that videos come in. The basic download has an interface that I can describe only as smooth, and if you don't like the default interface, you can apply a skin to it. A damn pot player also supports DVD playback, more or less, and inputs from both analog and digital recorders. When I opened it the first time, PotPlayer opened with its playlist window displayed. You can toggle it open and closed from the interface. The player has a full suite of familiar controls on its interface, including full screen, repeat, shuffle, and volume. But you can also access filter and rendering settings, speaker options, and other settings from the main window. Right-clicking the interface or the program's system tray icon accesses an extensive main menu. Opening Pot Player presents a clean interface, but you can display the drop-down menu to modify the program's operation. You'll see the usual VCR icons, Play, Back, Stop, Forward, Playlist, and Control Panel, and a Timeline. Depending on how you've set the defaults, you may also see a Play menu at the right. The Control Panel has controls for audio, video captions, and playback speed. I like Pot Player's ability to show information about the video that's playing. There are three options and one of them is really quite verbose with a lot of information about the video. DVD playback is still pretty primitive, but this application does have a lot of promise. On-screen DVD menus are not clickable, at least in the current version, so you'll have to watch from beginning to end. But if you have individual video files, the damn pot player is a great choice. Warning, though don't accept the application's offer to download the latest version. If you do, everything will be displayed in Korean. Just wait for the next version to come out, be released, and then download it from the website. That problem will undoubtedly be fixed fairly soon, and the warning of course doesn't apply if you happen to be able to read Korean. I did find it somewhat distressing that the PotPlayer installer claims the ActiveX components are out of date, and then offered to download an older version of ActiveX than the one that's installed. No sale there. For the damn pot player, two cats. It's a good player so far with a lot of promise, but I don't think it's quite ready for prime time, at least not just yet. I really like the fact that the pot player includes just about every codec that I might ever need, but the still flawed ability to play DVDs limits the application's usability. In other words, it's free and worth every cent. For more information, you can visit the Daem Pot Player website. There's a link to it, of course, from the TechBiter Worldwide website. In short circuits, Twitter is the social networking site that the unknowing like to dismiss. Ah, I don't need to tell everyone that I just had a bagel for breakfast. That's what they say, ignoring the fact that Twitter has been instrumental in organizing protests all around the world, from Egypt to New York. Now, Twitter says that it will block messages in some countries, and that has set off a firestorm of protest. Twitter has said that if governments request, it will block certain messages in the country whose government has made the request. The response was swift and harsh. For example, a post from a user in Sweden. Thank you for the censorship, Twitter, with love from the governments of Syria, Bahrain, Iran, Turkey, China, and Saudi and friends. Twitter defends the position as one that provides more transparency. For example, if the government of a country asks Twitter to block messages that contain certain words... The messages will be blocked in that country, but the blockage will be announced this way. Tweet withheld. This tweet from username has been withheld in, and then the country's name will be filled in. And although the message will be unavailable in the country that requested the block, it will still be available elsewhere in the world. And the fact that the message has been blocked will be readily apparent to anyone in the country. Some see this as a good move and not a cause for outrage because it complies minimally with a nation's laws, and because it's announced publicly, the policy is transparent. Unlike actions taken by some other social networking systems, Twitter's policy will block messages on a country-by-country basis, and the government of the country must explicitly request the block. Twitter's general counsel, Alex McGillivray, says the service has always had an obligation to remove illegal content, and he says that the new policy is a way to maintain content where it can. Although popular in the United States, Twitter has more users in other nations and will soon open an office in Germany. Germany has laws that prohibit the distribution of any Nazi-related materials in any medium. Regardless of intent... Twitter's actions will make it less useful for those who are trying to fight authoritarian governments, so it's likely that some other system will eventually be developed to fill the gap. <laughs> As you already know, Google has announced that it will unify its privacy policies across a broad swath of its services on March 1st. And now a bipartisan group of eight U.S. representatives has sent a letter to Google asking whether the new policy will allow users to opt out of the entire process. The Representatives also questioned the security of users' information. And this week, Google responded to the letter. Google's director of public policy, Pablo Chavez, said on the company's public policy blog that combining the policies makes them easier to read. We're explaining our privacy commitments to users of the products in 85% fewer words, he said. Well, that would seem obvious because the single policy statement replaces nearly 70 statements. Now, if you eliminate 69 70ths of your agreements one might reasonably expect the words to be reduced by 98.6%, not just the 85% that Google claims. Chavez says the new policy does not allow Google to collect any new or additional types of information about its users. From the beginning, Google has said the new policies will create a better experience for users, but it has also downplayed the fact that this will also create a better experience for advertisers. As an example of providing better experience, Chavez said that a user who is logged on to Google and who searches for recipes could then be offered cooking videos if that user visits YouTube. Chavez says that Google's products can still be used without signing into a Google account. Well, that's true for some products. Search, for example, clearly not possible for applications such as Gmail or Google Docs. look at this. Hitachi has announced the availability of DeskStar 7200 RPM 4 terabyte hard drives. The DeskStar 7K 4000 offers not only a lot of space, but also high performance because of that 72 RPM spindle speed. The drive contains five 800 gigabyte platters, We'll come back to that in a moment. It has a serial ATA 600 interface and 64 megabytes of onboard cache. It is worth wondering why Hitachi decided to use the 800 gigabyte platters instead of the more current 1 terabyte platters. Best guess is that the newer technology isn't considered sufficiently reliable yet. The 5400 RPM version of the drive, called the Deskstar 5K 4000, uses the same platters. The new drive is currently available only in Japan, but is expected to be available here in the U.S. soon. The 7K-4000 will sell for about $380. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techfighter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.